ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... Uber's changed the face of the opportunities for, for using people to provide services. By and large, if you're a worker in New Zealand, you're either an employee or you're a contractor. In essence, you either work for someone or people hire you when they need you. It's been like this for decades, but in the new economy, jobs are cropping up which challenge our ideas of what's what. An employment lawyer says changes that were signalled during the election could give Uber drivers the right to collective bargaining. A class action has been launched by courier drivers wanting to be recognised as employees rather than as independent contractors. A Dunedin taxi company, Southern Taxis, has been ordered to pay four former drivers almost $100,000 in arrears over minimum wages and holiday pay underpayments. Precedents have been set overseas with the UK, France and the state of California all ruling that Uber cannot simply consider their drivers sole contractors. And now in New Zealand, an upcoming employment court challenge hopes to do the same thing here. So, today on The Detail, should Uber drivers be considered employees? And what does the future hold for the world of contracting? Anita Rosentrater is a project coordinator for First Union. First Union, which is the union that I work for, and Air2, we've joined forces to um, bring this case against Uber. And we've just filed it a few days ago, and we're taking on behalf of all drivers in New Zealand, essentially asserting that drivers are employees of Uber, not independent contractors, which is what they're currently classified as. We're taking the case against Uber because, of course, you must take it against, you know, a legal entity um, that you're asserting is the employer of this this group of workers. Um, But we're expecting that, you know, the outcome of it could have wider ramifications, could, um, you know, set a legal precedent and therefore affect other rideshare drivers as well. Exactly. So a favourable judgment would make it very easy for people who work for other rideshare platforms to take a similar claim. Yeah, that's right. Earlier this year, the United Kingdom had a landmark case in this area. The Supreme Court has ruled that a group of Uber drivers must be treated as workers rather than self-employed. The decision marks the end of a five-year legal battle. The case could have implications for many others. But there's a big difference here. In the UK, there's an employment category in between employees and contractors called workers. This is what Uber drivers were classified as. It entitles them to a minimum wage and annual leave, but it doesn't include paternity or maternity leave or severance pay. New Zealand doesn't have this category, so drivers must fit into the employee or the contractor box. So what makes a contractor a contractor? And how is a contractor different from an employee? Paul Mackay is Business New Zealand's Employment Relations Policy Manager. An employee is engaged by the company uh, as a person who works exclusively with that company at its direction for the good of the company, and for that they receive an income and they're entitled to considerations such as leave and, and so on. A contractor, on the other hand, is a person who provides services to somebody but is not employed by that, uh, that, that entity. Uh, and they're, of course, free to go and conduct business on their own behalf, uh, including doing that same work for others uh, for their own benefit. 
from being a contractor, uh, there are many reasons, but one of the most common, of course, is that people like the idea of being their own boss. They want to run their own business. They have a skill set or a service that can be provided to many rather than just, just one. From a company, there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained. For instance, uh, a company won't employ an electrician exclusively for themselves just to change light bulbs because they may only change light bulbs once a month. Uh, there's no efficiency to be gained in paying somebody to sit and wait for that month to, to turn around. So contracting provides a great deal of organisational efficiency in terms of skills that are not uh, normally employed or intermittently employed, or for specific reasons, like, for instance, if a factory is closing down for maintenance and there are specialist machinery that requires to be pulled apart and put back together, they'll hire contractors to come and do that specific work because that's what they're expert at. They they want the the best expertise they can and that expertise generally comes from people who are doing it all the time even if they're not doing it for that that particular company. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily want your company of policy advisors to be pulling apart a complicated piece of machinery. Certainly not me. You talked about the idea of being your own boss. That clearly is a big perk to many contractors. But what are some of the other perks and also drawbacks to being a contractor? What do you get? What do you sacrifice? Well, in terms of the, the, the ultimate benefit, a person who has got a scarce skill clearly can charge a price that the market will bear. And by and large, that is the majority of contractors. But there are those for whom the opportunity to contract becomes a take-it-or-leave-it type of offer And this is the area where the concerns have been expressed, where uh, we've seen examples uh, of of contractors and subcontractors who are being told, this is the contract and this is the price we're prepared to pay. And of course, the contractor then has to fit everything cost-wise into the equation. In the past week, we've looked at courier drivers, owner operators who buy their vans, pay to have their vans decorated in company colours, pay for the uniforms, pay for scanners and other equipment, then drive for courier companies like Freightways and PBT. What we've learned is the extent to which contract workers don't have the safety net employees have. Last night we were told by the Christchurch Budget Service that they're seeing contract drivers who aren't even earning the minimum wage after costs. We've heard from more drivers and more contract workers who tell us they're struggling, but life outside the protections of employment law is tough for an increasingly large number of New Zealanders. It also has downsides in the terms of the dynamics of a contract. If I use the example of a, an owner-driver of a truck, for instance, who, who has capital costs in terms of buying the truck and paying the mortgage on it, the maintenance costs, the running costs, and of course providing for themselves in the process, they may do a deal with a client company to say, okay, I'll I'll drive your goods for you and the price is X and that X will cover all of those things. Mm. But of course they walk out the door and and the price of diesel goes up. Uh, And and the the dynamics of of their benefit will change simply because of the economic outcome. An employee, on the other hand, will simply get their wage come what may and the company will deal with those dynamics. So th- there are pluses and minuses, and the the contractor has got a good contractor will think about those things in terms of whether they want to follow that model or not. Now, in the main, there are certain common facets to contracting. The client doesn't generally have huge power over the worker in terms of directing how or when they work. The contractor should be able to simultaneously work for multiple clients. They should be able to form ongoing commercial relationships with clients and have the opportunity to organically grow their business. And this is where things get murky. By and large, the lines between contractor and employee are pretty clear-cut, but some jobs in the modern world, like Uber drivers, 
muddy the waters. Uber's changed the face of the opportunities for, for using people to provide services because there's an interface between the client and the and the user of the service that is not not human. It is it, it is the so-called app uh, or platform. So you've got a got a, a driver who gets their work through accessing an app that then defines that attaches them to a potential client. And the owner of the app, Uber in this instance, or, or any of the others, is sitting in the background and taking no active part in the transactions that take place. The algorithms built into the app do that work. Mm. And so the tests that, you know, and we've now got a number of cases across a number of countries that have all come up with varying answers. And the tests that the, that the courts have got to really consider are who's doing what for who? Is the driver, for instance, driving for Uber? Or are they simply using Uber's tool as a means of getting work for themselves? Because Uber's kind of, it's really like a, a marketplace in a sense, isn't it? It's providing a marketplace, connecting people. And so the question being, is Uber employing these people or are these people simply yeah. using Uber to connect them to clients? Yeah, and, and it, a very good analogy with the marketplace because it's highly dynamic, highly responsive. So if you dial an Uber uh, at 12 o'clock at night on a busy Saturday night, uh, you will find that there's a lot of cars on the road and the ride might be quite cheap. Um, but because the market says that the, that the availability of cars means that they're prepared to accept a lower price and the algorithm does all of that. However, if it's 3 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday and there's no cars around, you'll find it an extremely expensive trip because you're pricing one car available for all the calls that being made. And that's not Uber making that decision. It is the decision of the dynamics between availability of cars and the demand from people and that simply signs itself into a number that the client can then accept or not. Uber basically says that they're a technology company and that they have built an app and that people can use their app and what they do with it is none of their concern. So they sort of maintain that they have no relationship to these drivers at all, which um, we think is completely absurd. The driving services of Uber make up the bulk of that company's business, so it is their core business. And when you get into an Uber, you don't know what the name of that driver's supposed company is. You certainly don't feel like you're contributing to that driver's business or that that driver is able to build their business through taking on your custom. As far as you're concerned, you're in an Uber. Any experience you have, any interaction you have with that driver, you attribute to Uber. I mean, you describe Uber's perspective there as absurd. Is it really that ab absurd? I mean, this is a grey area, right? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that Uber is making billions of dollars from drivers giving rides to passengers. So the drivers are doing the work of that company, the work that is bringing profit into that company. They can call it whatever they like, but we actually have employment laws in this country, and there are employment laws all over the world that Uber is completely disregarding by trying to disguise this relationship as something that it just isn't. Employees in this country and in most countries around the world are entitled to certain rights and benefits under our law, and contractors are not entitled to those rights and benefits. So we're talking about things like, as fundamental as the minimum wage, if you're a contractor, there's nothing to say that you have to be paid the minimum wage. And in the case of Uber drivers, about 53% of them, according to some recent research we did, estimated that they earn less than the minimum wage on average. You're not entitled to holiday pay, you're not entitled to sick leave, you're not entitled to 
KiwiSaver contributions. And, I mean, good luck saving for your retirement when you're earning less than the minimum wage anyway. Not everybody earns less than the minimum wage, right? Well, 53% told us that they did, on average, earn less than the minimum wage through the recent research that we did. It's quite changeable depending on how often people work, what kind of rides they take on and that kind of thing. But there's such a lack of control on the driver's part that you actually can't you can't work in such a fashion to ensure that you're earning good money through Uber because there's an element of it's a sort of jackpot in terms of what rides you're actually going to get coming through. And a lot of drivers have told us that to make any kind of decent money through Uber and their definition of of decent is probably different from a lot of people's definition of, of decent. I would imagine that they, they're sort of talking about scraping by. They say you need, you need to do a minimum of 10 hours work a day and you, you're probably working every day of the week. And you, ha- you have to understand that a lot of that time is actually unpaid. They're still working, but they're not being paid for it. So they only get paid when they have a passenger in the car and they're driving them between pickup point and drop-off point. They don't get paid if they're driving to pick someone up and they don't get paid if they're waiting around for a trip to come through. Mm. Um, So we're talking 10 hours work, but only some of that work is actually being paid for by Uber and then at less than the minimum wage. Do you think, okay, it strikes me that historically the idea of contract work was very much geared towards the idea that most contractors were highly skilled people with in-demand skills Um, and a very wide variety of clients, but that Uber has been a massive disruptor in that. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to Uber drivers. I'm sure that it is very, very difficult work, Um, but it's not necessarily what you would describe as being highly skilled work. And therefore, when it comes to shoehorning this into either an employee or a contractor box, those old models of delegating what kind of worker someone is, they don't really fit what this is. Well, I think your definition of what a contractor once was and the intention of what a contractor should always be was pretty spot on. So certainly someone who has that independence to move around and to set their rates. So you call an electrician and they tell you it's going to cost $80 an hour or whatever it is, you're a genuine contractor at that point. With Uber driving, they don't have that control. They don't have that power. They're totally at the whim of Uber But when it comes to which box they fit into, I fundamentally disagree with that because I think that what they're doing is they're performing a taxi service and that we've had taxis for a very long time. And Uber has kind of taken advantage of this idea that they are these great disruptors who are doing something completely new and innovative and there's just no way you could possibly shoehorn them them into a box that currently exists. But the reality is, is that They've got an impressive app, it's very user-friendly, but that's a distraction. You know, what we're looking at is we're looking at the reality of the work that these workers do, and we're looking at who is benefiting, who is profiting. And that, to me, once you strip away all of the, um, you know, the technology around it and all of the rhetoric and the narrative that Silicon Valley is pumping out there around this work, that, to me, it's quite clear that these workers are employees of Uber. The taxi... Comparison is interesting because I'm not sure about this, but I don't think taxi drivers are considered employees. They're considered business owners, right? Well, there was a similar case last year, actually, where a group of taxi drivers took their employer to court and they also won. Mm. The court found that they were, in reality, employees. Um, And this is 
this is the problem. Misclassification of workers in this country is rife. It's happening all over the place. There was another case very recently about a builder. The Employment Court has found in favour of an Auckland builder, Ross Barry, who challenged his status as an independent contractor while working for a building company. The court found that real nature of the relationship is one of an employee based on the hours and the work he was doing. It follows a case last year brought by a courier driver, Mike Leota, who took a case on the same grounds and also won. A lot of people would would sort of think if you're a builder, it's just a given that you're a contractor. And certainly I think the, the industry is largely made up of contractors. But I would actually say that probably the vast majority of those workers are misclassified and that they really should be employees. And unfortunately, that means that they're missing out on these rights and entitlements that they really should have as workers. There's a government review of contracting going on at the moment, which is looking at contracting as a whole. One point that is made in the public submissions section of the Uber section of that is that many rideshare drivers, many rideshare drivers, enjoy the freedom that their working arrangements give them. Is that something that you've considered here? I think that's probably quite overstated, and the fact that it's coming from Uber, I mean, that's not coming from drivers themselves. No, that is coming from drivers. It's public submissions coming from Uber drivers. Ah, right. Okay. So, I mean, yes, certainly there are some drivers who do it for the flexibility, um, and the research shows that as well, but they are actually the minority of drivers. And like I mentioned, some of them talk about this flexibility, but when you actually go deeper with them about what they're doing they do admit that they are scheduling their lives around the most lucrative times on the app. So these are, you know, driving at night and that kind of thing. So I do, I do seriously, I, I'm quite sceptical about that, um, the degree to which it is actually flexible in the driver's favour. Mm. I think Uber is um, an intensely powerful company and that they certainly know how to get what they need out of the relationship and they will always put that first mm. over the needs of drivers. Because I guess, I, I guess the point that I'm making is that is it your assertion that all Uber drivers should be considered employees even if someone is only working 10 hours a week because they like talking to people? You know, I've had Uber, Uber drivers like that before yeah. who work 10 hours a week and they work 10 hours a week because it's an old bloke and um, and he doesn't have much family in New Zealand and he likes interacting with people. It's a good question and um, I get asked it a lot and it's it's quite funny because I sort of think, have people forgotten that casual employment exists? Because a lot of people used to be casually employed in exactly that way and that's what they would get out of it. And there would be no obligation on them to do the work if they were invited to do the work by the employer. But they weren't being being denied their f- fundamental work rights. So uh, the idea that you, in order to get flexibility, you have to give up this whole swathe of employment rights, including the right to join a union and to have that protection at work, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, these workers should have those rights regardless of how they're being engaged. The other thing is is that many operations in our country, and probably most companies, would operate a mixed model of having some people who work full-time, some people who work part-time, some people who may be casually employed. Some companies also have some employees and some contractors. But the point is that The law only cares about the reality of the working relationship. It's not actually about what the company wants. And in some cases, it's not even about what the worker wants necessarily. It's actually about the material reality of the way the relationship plays out. And that's what the court will look at when we take this case. 
Meanwhile, Paul Mackay isn't happy that this employment court case is clashing with a wider review on how to better protect vulnerable contractors. If there's a general discussion or a general decision made about the nature of platform work, for instance, that changes that, that how it works now or the, the way it's perceived now, it will obviously then have an effect on how other forms of relationships are also perceived. And so and we can't predict exactly what that, that consequence will be because at this stage we haven't yet nailed down precisely what we think an Uber-type relationship is. Uh, so the court deciding this in isolation, of course, is going to change the ability of the review process to consider that in, in relation to all of the other forms of contracting. So it's a, it's a, it's a change in dynamics. And, and from one point of view, you could say it's a little unfortunate they chose to pursue this path right now because the review is underway and workers are involved in the review. But they have a constituency of their own, of course, and, and unions do stand for chasing down and, and challenging inequity. So in that sense, it's understandable they've chased it now. It's, it's I guess, the, the timing or juxtaposition of this issue versus the others, um, in an ideal world, will be done differently, but it is what it is. The tripartite group looking at how to better protect vulnerable contractors will report back to the government later this year with its recommendations for improving working conditions. And First Union and Air 2 hope their case will be heard by the Employment Court before the end of the year. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us, thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced today's episode, Adrian Holley engineered it, and thanks to Anita Rosentrater and Paul Mackay. Matewa. Wow.